1952 in Klingenberg, West Germany, one Sunday morning in September, Anna and Joseph Michel celebrated the birth of their first child together. 24 years later, that child would be dead, the result of the most terrifying and convincing case of demonic possession ever recorded. This is the story of the possession of Annalise Michel. Welcome to Enter the Dark! Ugh. I'm a vampire. Ugh. Greetings, everyone! Welcome to Enter the Dark. I am not in that voice all the time. I'm Jan. I'm a vampire. It's Halloween. Well, it, it technically it's not while we're recording this. It's actually 9-11. Sorry. <laughs> and with me, as always, is the twat and the hat, Les. Right. Could you not have wore the full costume? No, it's out of respect for the Queen. The Queen, is what the Queen would have wanted, you putting little whiskers on and a little black nose. I wore the hat. I wore the hat. He's got a full costume. We won't wear anything. But yes, welcome to an Enter the Dog Halloween it was special. The costume of the Queen. It wasn't. It was a, it was the cat in the hat. That's why it had a crown. It didn't. That's the hat. Whatever fever wank dreams you're having to keep him away. But anyway, yeah. Welcome to the Enter the Dark Halloween special. We decided, or well, one of us did, to make it a bit different. So, it's still crime, but with a Halloween-y twist. <laughs> special effects. Special effects. With a Halloween-y twist. <laughs> it's not that good, is it? Mm. Mm. Ah! Yeah. We brought a strobe light. I think, I think they've had enough of their strobe yeah, light. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll use it again. We'll use um, it, yeah. But yeah, this is the case. Yeah, because, you know, we don't want you to die while you're watching us. Unless it's a fright. Ha, 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 ha. No. Huh. Strobe light. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's quite good. It's got some yeah. I'm a horror vibes. Uh, if I get it closer. Will I'm you? Christopher Lee. Blah. You're feeling a bit fetty. No. Not no, fetty. No. No. My self esteem is low. Get that. Fitty. <laughs> Americans won't get it. <laughs> Um, anyway, speaking of um, people who are fitties, see what I did there? Yes. They give us money, so nice to them. They might give us more money. We have our Patreon shout-outs. We have Hannah Blue, Hannington, Amanda Champagne, Staria Crowley, Amy Emerson, Jack Coleman, Lisa Dempsey, Marie T. Jensen, Casey the Cannibal, Becky Louise, Izzy from the Clink, Jules Henderson, Richard Beccarelli, Michelle Hudson, Alicia Llewellyn, Mandy Madden, Fire Pixie, Lis Little Mascara, and Kuki Fanny. Welcome. Thank you for supporting the Sick Fuck family. If you do want to support us too, you can by donating anything from $1 all the way up to $50, $10 or more. You get to tell us what case you want covered. <sighs> do it. Also, like and subscribe the videos because, as you probably know, we got hacked. That oh, was, yeah. That was fun. Thank you. Somehow, Elon Musk is to blame. Been a week for hacking. Yeah, as he got his bank account hacked yeah we got the channel hacked 
it's all fucked. But anyway, fuck that. Let's get on to the case of demo demonic possession. We'll be doing a lot of this throughout this. Interesting. Right, so in 1948, 200 miles east of Klingenberg in the district of Liebfling, 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 28-year-old Anna Ferg was in a desperate state. The recent birth of her child, Martha, born out of wedlock, had brought disgrace on her and her devout Catholic parents. I mean, they've just come out of war. I'm pretty sure they've got more things to be disgraced about. <laughs> Terrified. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, what she's... Tw uh, was she 28? Oh, she, she was too old for the Hitler Youth. Anyway, terrified that their daughter would no longer be able to marry, Anna's parents spied an opportunity when they were introduced to a young man named Joseph, recently arrived in town on business, because nothing says romance like a travelling businessman named Joseph. Also, how was this a fucking disgrace, right? The Catholic Church, you had a platform of non-involvement non -involvement during the Holocaust. But, you know, this German girl getting pregnant out of wedlock. Now, that's a disgrace. But apparently, fucking, the platform of non-involvement isn't. Sort yourself out. Catholics. Ugh. Anyway, with the help of the Diocese of Wiesberg and a few hundred Deutschmarks, the Fergs gifted their daughter to the young man. Joseph and Anna, shrouded in a black veil as a symbol of her disgrace, were married the following year. Oh. Hardly a romantic story, is it? No. Anyway, despite being essentially a case of, at best, people trafficking, the couple were happy and soon settled down in Klingenberg, where Joseph, the head of his family's sawmill business, built them a house on a quiet street overlooking Klingenberg Cemetery, because nothing says romance like a house built by the man you were sold to that overlooks the graves of the dead, some of them probably Nazis. This is surreal because I feel like you're saying this about Nazis and it's a bit like um, I'm being told this by Grandad Munster. It's fantastic. Grandpa Munster wasn't a Nazi. No. No. He was a vampire. They're apolitical. Vampires, that's not what I've seen. Well, that's what... That's your wank films, isn't it, that you watch? Where you got, like, members, women, She-Wolf of the SS and shit like that. <laughs> anyway, Joseph loved Martha like she was his own, not the additional baggage from a weird Catholic transaction that, that she was. Because essentially she was. Yeah. But soon they would have a child of their own. Annalise was born, and according to her parents, she was a beautiful baby. Although no parent is going to say, yeah, my baby's ugly as shit. We'll just have to take it with a pinch of salt, obviously. Now, she was joined by her sisters, Gertrude, Maria and Barbara. And the family finally settled down to live in Klingenberg. Now, there's some good German names there. But one of them sticks out as not really German. Let's go through it. We've got Martha. Who we're doing? Martha. You've got Annalise, Gertrude, Maria, and Barbara. Do you think they just give up with Barbara? Be like, let's make it not German sounding. Just, you know, because we're not really liked around the world at the moment. 
Anyway. You're Barbara. You're Barbara now. In 1956, a tumour was discovered in eight-year-old Maria's Martha's kidney. Not Maria, Martha. Killing you off, Maria. I'm sorry, Doc. Um, requiring immediate surgery. It was a dangerous operation that would ultimately cost Martha her life. The family would wonder why someone so young and innocent would be taken when there were literally Nazis still walking around. Now, they may not have thought this, but, you know, that's what I would have thought. Why has my child been taken? By God, who I love. When there's fucking Nazis living in Argentina. Don't cry for me. This is the part of the story I don't get. I'm like, there's literally Nazis walking around here. They, they would have been, wouldn't they? They would, yeah. Any sawmill business. Anyway, part of Anna had always known that this day would come. Martha had come into the world a literal embodiment of sin upon God's earth, and Anna had failed to compensate for it. It was clear to her that Martha's premature death was God's inevitable revenge. <sighs> that good old Catholic guilt. Our Lord God is a vengeful God, and that's why he had Jesus killed before he got too popular. Martha was laid to rest in the cemetery next to the house, albeit hidden away at the back, in the ground set aside for suicides and the illegitimate. Sad, really, isn't it? You know, they used to, because um, it's a Halloween episode. Hello. Going her into Jack here. Go on, then. You're not vampire, you're the cat in the hat. Vampire cat in the hat. You're not. You wouldn't put makeup on. Okay. But yeah, like, um, over here, like, and this happened up until, like, Victorian times, like the 1800s, if you were a suicide, you'd be a roadside or crossroad burial. And you know what they'd do? Very roadside or a crossroad. Uh, they drive a stake through you as well, but in a really creepy way. The stake would actually still be above ground. So, like, half a part of the stake would be above ground. So people knew that there was a suicide buried there. Why would they do that? So because of the superstition. Because they believe that they come back as the unquiet dead. A bit like you. No! Were you a suicide? No. A chicken duck. Ugh. I just didn't edit for about three weeks. <laughs> a chicken duck. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> convinced of what she must do, Anna was determined to make Annalise her vessel. Never would her daughter be without the rosary or be absent from mass as they fought to win back God's trust. When Annalise contracted measles, followed by the mumps and scarlet fever... Anna feared her efforts had once again been in vain. Some book of job shit, that is, isn't it? But together, they prayed, and all her ailments subsided. And then she became a healthy, happy child once more. It was probably more to do with the medicine. I'm just saying. Now, in the autumn of 1958, a six-year-old Annalise took her first communion. As Anna and Joseph watched proudly while she ate the body and sipped of the blood, not Literally, you know, but just remember this when Catholics go bang on about the occult being weird. They make you eat the body of Jesus and drink his blood. It's funny, isn't it? Like, can you imagine when they, like, uh, invaded Mexico and, like, sort of uh, genocided the Aztecs? They're trying to introduce Christianity. And they're like, so that shit you do by sacrificing people and pulling their hearts out, that's wrong. But what we're going to do here is eat the body and blood of Jesus, our saviour. Like, okay. Weird, isn't it? 
Oh God, religion's just weird now. Isn't it fucked up? Like when you look no matter at it what religion way. you're, it's just like the, the poor Aztecs are just taking it a bit more literal. They just got gold. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was with the feeling of a great weight be lifted from their shoulders. The arrival of another baby girl in December, christened Ravistva, was like a reward for all their efforts. I mean, it's probably a more of a reward of not believing in condoms. Or birth control. Anyway, um, Ruithwa as well. Ruithwa. 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 It's a weird name. Anyway, in 1965, age 12, Annalise. Gra- no, not your Ruithwa, my Ruithwa. In 1965, age 12, Annalise graduated to the Dalberg Gymnasium in Afferschaffenburg. Some glorious German names here. It was only a 10 minute train ride from her home, but those 10 minutes were a freedom she had never known before. They're often on the train. I mean, yeah, sitting on a train like. And, like, you know what I mean? She hasn't got a mum there, like, pray! Pray all the time, you sinner! Now, there were new friends to be made, like Maria, who had, whom Annalise regularly laughed and joked on a daily commute with. And over the next few years, there were other changes, changes inside An- that Annalise struggled to reconcile with the demands of the scriptures. No, not just periods and stuff. It was spooky shit. Oh, spooky. Though she desired to learn to dance at the local ballroom like her sisters, Anna forbade it. Her place was at mass to give thanks to the mother of God, her mother reminded her, and to show penance for all those less fortunate than herself. Some nights, Annalise would even take to sleeping on the floor in a sign of contrition. But in spite of all that, something was stirring. And it wasn't a mouse. No. In Wrong the, festival. It is. In the summer of 1968, Annalise and Maria were working together in class when Maria noticed something amiss. Annalise! There was no reply. No, no reply? Annalise! Is Alice an Udung? Which means, is everything okay? In German. Oh, yeah, naturellich. Which means, oh, yes, naturally. GCSE. Naturally. German GCSE, yeah. Turning back to her work as if nothing had happened. That night she woke with a start, unable to breathe, eyes wide in horror. She cried for help, but no words came out. Her limbs were rigid, while something strong and invisible seemed to be pinning her to her bed. It wasn't less. She was finally released. A warm dampness was spreading from underneath her. It was piss, in case you were wondering. Though I have woke up rigid before. You have. And, you know, with a warm dampness underneath you. Well, that was sticky white, love piss. Ashamed of pissing the bed, she kept the events of that night to herself. The incident was all but forgotten until a year later when it happened again. Only that time, her screams of terror were heard throughout the house. Helping me is in eine trouble. Bleh. We've got German viewers. They're going to be like, hmm. Oh, they, we love you, Joe. We know what you did. Don't try and deny it. Still love you. Thank you. Anyway, the next morning, distra- disturbed by the night's events, Anna accompanied her daughter to see the neurologist, Dr. Siegfried Luthi. 
who found little wrong with Annalise, but suggested an EEG test in hope of shedding some more light on the cause of her particular seizures. Tell you now, it's epilepsy. I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on TV, but this is epilepsy. Two days later, a nervous Annalise sat in an examination room surrounded by a quiet hum of machinery as a series of small electrodes connected to wires were stuck to her head, but the test found nothing of concern. In February 1969, having also contracted tuberculosis, a devastated Annalise was taken out of school and sent for treatment at Hockberg School Lincolnick Mittelberg, a sanatorium. Now, the sanatorium, located on the southern border of West Germany and Austria, is nestled a thousand feet high in the Algau at the northern tip of the Alps. And the spring turned to summer, Annalise was making good progress until one night. A throat-ripping scream woke the girls and sent Nursie sprinting down the halls to her dorm. Ah! It'd be more like... It'd be more like... <sighs> like King Diamond kind of... It's a bit like... <sighs> that, yeah. That. Do that again. <sighs> no, wait, 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 wait. A throat-ripping scream woke the girls and sent nurses sprinting down the hall to her dorm. <coughs> Only few caught the faint whiff of piss, but all saw Annalise shaking with terror. After being calmed, she was moved to a clean bed, but too scared to sleep. The next morning's checkup found nothing wrong. It's epilepsy. I'm telling you now, it's epilepsy. In the dorm a few weeks later, Annalise sat alone in a chair in the dorm, watching the sunset behind the distant mountain peaks. Closing her eyes, she picked up her rosary and started to pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. She was still sitting in her chair, speaking to herself, when the girls found her. The girls looked on with unease as an unresponsive Annalise continued to stare vacantly out of the window. Her trembling hands held up in front of her face, stiff and rigid like claws or Les's penis. A moment later, she snapped out of the trance and turned to the girls in silence, her eyes like two black discs and an odd smile slowly spreading across her lips. Like a bit like... Like that. Can you do one? That's just normal smile, Les. I mean, you, your eyes are all like black discs anyway. Anyway, all the ecstasy... In June, after another EEG revealed a slight anomaly in the pattern of her brainwaves, Annalise was diagnosed with grand mal epilepsy and prescribed a course of anticonvulsant pills. Nailed it. Called it. That's epilepsy. 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 Nothing to do with demons. This is epilepsy. At least the fucking Church of England, like, they have that, like, three tick boxes things. I mean, no, no, these guys do. The Catholics do as well. You have to go through a whole... We'll get into what the whole rigmarole they have to go through. I bet you the Church of England has modelled it on the Catholic one. They modelled most things, didn't they? Yeah. Anyway, a week later, alone in her room, she was again staring out of the window as she passed the rosary beads between her fingers when something strange began to take shape above her. First she saw the misshapen nose, then oddly twisted ears, followed by a hideous mouth of gnashing teeth and a pair of eyes staring directly at her. When she realised this wasn't Barbara Streisand, she really began to be scared. She tried to turn away, but something was stopping her, probably her neck. 
Finally, she was released, running in terror back to the room, screaming to be left alone. Teenager, isn't it? Leave me alone. Into my room. You're not my real dad. Anyway, one afternoon when she asked if she'd been surf suffering any further issues during her time at the hospital, Annalise said no. Fucking lie. But fearful of what they might do if she told the truth. She was given a clean bill of health and after nearly six months in the sanatorium, she returned home. Gonna say, you should have said, yeah, Staring out mountain peaks, saw this fucking face. Also, been pissing myself a lot. And the girls say a smile weird, but I think that's just them being bitches. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Later, she took a moment sitting alone in the quiet of her bedroom to feel over her whole things. The prayer book with the wildflowers pressed inside. Her badly neglected diary. I mean, you could have took that with you. Not meaning to pick fault here, but... She left it behind. Yeah, she's like, oh, this is bad and neglected. What do you want them to do? Write in it for you. Oh, yeah, she's still crazy. Pissed the bed again last night. Saw a face. Crazy fucking bitch. And the framed picture of Jesus on her wall. You know, Ewan McGregor wasn't born yet. I don't think so. It couldn't have been him. Probably was like, it probably wasn't Jesus. Probably something like fucking that dude from Starsky and Hutch. David Soul. Elsewhere in the house, her sisters were speaking amongst themselves with concern. Something quite, wasn't quite right with Annalise, they said. She seemed different. Probably because you put her in a sanitarium for fucking six months. And she seemed weird shit. And also, she's coming to terms with her being epileptic and on anticonvulsants. Over the next few years, Annalise continued to excel at school and, barring a few minor seizures, appearing to be, appeared to be returning to a semblance of normality. In truth, she knew it would only be a matter of time before it came for her again. It. It. It started in the spring of 1973, with a gentle knocking on her door in the middle of the night with no one there when she opened it. After another fruitless visit to the doctor, Annalise's sister Barbara asked her mother what the visit was about. Nothing, replied Anna. She's just imagining noises at night, crazy bitch. But then Barbara said, But Mama, I have heard them too. What were the noises? Knocking on a door, I told you. Hello, it's fucking like Barbara, just like that. No, that was Barbara, wasn't it? It was like Maria. Like, <clears throat> <laughs> I am playing the games. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Come and join us in her jolly games. In fact, all her sisters have been hearing it. The soft banging coming from somewhere in the house. I'm going to say it was the Josie Fanani. Uh -huh. Yeah, Catholics. Sometimes it was in the walls. Sometimes it came from under floorboards. And sometimes it came from inside Annalise's wardrobe. Sometimes it was the neighbours banging back, thinking it was some sort of secret code. One night, unbeknownst to the rest of her family, a now 20-year-old Annalise awoke in the dark to find a voice speaking to her. Join us in hell forever. It rasped over and over again. Joseph, alerted by his daughter's anguished screams, found Annalise writhing in terror with her hands clasped over her ears, begging them to stop. Later that summer, 
Did that you, was a fail, wasn't it? Did you just like try to be really cool opening that while I was reading this part of the story? Yeah, it? failed. Right, no. that's go. Why did it make the pop but not come up? What a prick! You are a prick. You it's are true. the twat in the hand. Later that summer, Joseph took Annalise to on a pilgrimage to Italy to visit the garden of Rosa Quattrini Buzzini. That's a made-up name. Is Ro- that what it says? Rose- Is that what it says? Rosa Quattrini Rosini. Buzzini. Buzzini. Yeah, she was a recently venerated shrine in the village of San Damiano. When Annalise... Recently, ne- so no longer. No, it was then. It was a recent then, but it's been done ages ago now. It was a- right, you recently opened that beer, right? In about five hours' time, you wouldn't say, I recently opened this beer, will you? No. That's an old one. What concept aren't you getting with this? I just think they're making shit up. Of course they are. It's Catholics. They make half the shit up. Anyway, when Annalise neared the garden, she was crippled by a searing pain in her feet, as if they were on fire. And when she next looked up, she was horrified to find the faces of the other pilgrims had turned into wide mouths of sharp, gnashing teeth. Nobody knows if this was actually the faces of demons or just thinly veiled racism. On the coach ride back to Klingenberg, Annalise ripped a medallion from the neck of Thea Hine, a friend and neighbour who had organised the trip. Joseph apologised profusely for her behaviour and shepherded her back to the seats, trying his best to keep his daughter calm while the rest of the passengers whispered and stared. Some people can be just judgmental. They can. I mean, though, if you've got a medallion on, and someone comes up and rips it off you and screaming in your face, you'd be like, I'm going to stare at her. Especially because she was like saying, my feet are on fire. And, you know, she pisses the bed. A few days later, Annalise was back in Dr. Luthie's office. The devil is in me. Luthie shifted uncomfortably in his chair and looked at Annie. What do you mean? He sassed. It's, I think it's quite obvious. Don't you? The devil's in it. He has been speaking through me. Who are they? Demons. And these are the ones whose faces you have seen? Yah! And how do you recognise this is the devil? Don't question him. Person who's saying got the devil in him. You're going to get murdered. Annalise looked to her mother but was unable to reply, realising Lucy would never understand. It was the last time she would mention anything to doctors about gruesome faces or tormenting voices. Probably not a good thing if you, you know, epileptic and, you know, you're seeing these things. It could change your medication. Yeah. It was September 1973 when Father Ernst Anton Alt. You think he's going to have a cool second name, don't you? Alt. Ernst Alt? Ernst Anton Alt. First learned about Annalise's case. The tall and shortly bearded Alt, although relatively young at 35, was considered deeply thoughtful and intelligent by his peers, and he listened with great concern as Father Carl Roth recounted the meeting he had just attended concerning a possible case of demonic possession. Well, they put it here. It's demonic molestation. Demonic molestation. Yeah. I've had that happen to me. Yeah, any chance for molestation with these Catholics under there? Before Roth could say more, a strange feeling came over Father Alt. Much to Roth's amazement, Alt proceeded to describe Annalise and her family's situation in complete detail, 
as if he attended the meeting himself. Is this actually a semi-miracle? Or was he just listening to Roth speaking about it and repeated it? We will never know. Make your own mind up. Two days later, Father Oak consulted with another colleague, Father Edward Herman. He's got three R's in his name. Herman. And it also contacted, who'd also been contacted by the desperate family. Not contracted, contacted. You nearly said contacted. He was contacted, not contracted. Okay. They didn't contract him. When Herman handed Alt two letters he'd received from Anna and Josie documenting the case, Alt was overcome by a strange nausea. Disturbed by this turn of events, he wasted little time in arranging to speak to the family. I am looking for people who believe me, Annalise told him when they met for the first time. It was strange for Alt to see this young woman, now 21, so lucid and determined, albeit a little pale, considering everything he had heard. But after an hour of examination, Father Alt and Father Ross suspected that Annalise was indeed in the grip of a terrifying possession. Of course. Not wanting to cause any alarm, the pair kept the judgment to themselves and agreed to a period of observation before they decided what to do next. In the meantime, Annalise was too to keep living her life just as she always done. Now, Annalise was accepted at the University of Würzburg teacher training course, and in November, galvanised by regular consultation with Father Old, she moved to Würzburg to begin her studies. After moving into the university's stark five-storey dormitory, known as the Ferdinandium, Ferdinandium, she spent the next few months attending lectures and making new friends. There were ups and downs, with Annalise sometimes staying entire days in her room, too lethargic to even speak to anyone. One on the other better nights, she was dragged to a dance at the dormitory. As rock and all all blasted from the speakers, a young man with soft pale skin and dark wavy hair watched her from the edge of the hall as Annalise danced blissfully under the smoky haze and dim lights. He introduced himself as Peter. She liked his eyes and his gentle self-assurance and something about him put immediately at ease. Sounds like a light dreamboat, doesn't it? Fabio shit. They agreed to meet up again. In the days that followed, Peter grew ever more fond of the enigmatic young woman from Klingenberg. One morning, Annalise entered the local church to make a confession, but when she tried to speak, the words stuck in her throat. Before long, the seizures and the headaches had returned. Over the next year, she struggled with her various ailments, making visits to Father Alt whenever they threatened to overwhelm her. On one occasion, Joseph delivered a deeply desperate and oddly distracted Annalise home for the holidays to Alt's office. She knelt on the ground with her head bowed as though as all brought his arms forward. Good job she's not a five-year-old boy, that's all I'm saying. May the Lord bless you and keep you, he said. When he was finished, he made the sign of a cross and watched in astonishment as, like a flower turning to the sun, a newly bright and alert Annalise would reveal before him in place of the dour and vacant young woman of only moments before. I'm not saying it's a placebo effect. But it is. But it is. It was a clear sign to Annalise that only the church could save her. Alt, however, insisted that she check in regularly with a university physician who set her up with another course of pills. Throughout it all, Peter, falling ever more in love, supported Annalise however he could, 
but she was often saddened by the way her condition left her so lethargic and numb, unable to reciprocate his love. It's probably too tired for a handjob. When things becoming strange, she felt she had little choice but to trust him with what she had suspected all along. There was something monstrous trying to take over her mind. Peter was shocked at first, but seeing the sincerity in her eyes, he promised to be there for her whenever she needed him. What a dream guy. What a nice man. What a lovely boy. Lovely. Lovely. In second year, Annalise, now with her own room, gradually withdrew from her old social circle and found new, more religiously committed friends like Maria Kay and Anna to share with their prayer sessions with. Probably not the best thing. If you're there going, I think I'm possessed, they're going to be like, oh yeah, you're fucking possessed. After Alt's latest intervention, the seizures seemed to have all but cleared up and by early 1975, the voices and faces had been banished. In late spring, Annalise's grandmother, a much-loved and calming influence, passed away at home in Klingenberg. I mean, much-loved. She did sell a daughter to a travelling businessman and make her wear black at a wedding. Yeah. And, you know... Right on balance. And I'm pretty sure she goose-stepped in Zekiald quite a bit during the war. You know, it's... You can't tar them all with the same brush. Them who were alive at the time were literally Nazis. There's no way around that. Whether they wanted to or not, they were Nazis. Yeah, it's kind of... It's like people make arguments for, like, the um, German army that weren't the SS, and it's kind of like... Mm, mm, there's a lot of evidence here. I mean, you had, like, good eggs... Like Rommel, who tried to, and that other guy in that film, Valkyrie, who tried to kill Hitler. Yeah, but, you know, he only tried to kill Hitler because he thought Hitler was going to lose in the war. He wasn't like, what he's doing is wrong. Yeah, this is true. So, this is very true. You know, stop, stop being a Nazi apologist. Well, not being an apologist. You literally are being an apologist. No, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that, like, these people who apologise and say, oh, well, the, the German army, you know weren't the Waffen SS. It's like, they still held them beliefs. I'm not not defending them. I'm not defending them. Is he? You decide. Yeah, so the grandmother, she's corked it. With Barbara now living in Sulzbach and Gertrude working in Spade, Annalise couldn't help but feel that something was shifting away from her. A few days later, her friends Anna and Maria were talking loudly in Annalise's room, but when Annalise yelled for them to stop, they merely looked at her in confusion. They hadn't been talking at all. I don't know what's more scary. The fact that Annalise was hearing voices <laughs> or the fact that two people were in a room in complete fucking silence. Just sit, it's like if we just sat there like... That's fucking freaky. If you're in a room, like come over my house and you've got two people just sitting there quiet weird. I don't it's know. not abnormal though. Like, I've been in relationships that are pretty much like that. I mean, let's not bring your parents into this, Les. One evening, not long after having torn down a picture of Christ from her wall and ripped apart her rosary beads, Annalise ran to church to pray, but no matter how hard she tried to enter, her legs would not carry her across the threshold. That night, the terrors came again, and she tried in vain to fight the voices condemning her to hell. 
<laughs> the next morning, Annalise called Father Alt in a fit of desperation. Once he arrived, he knelt with the terrified young woman by her bed, and together they prayed as tears streamed down her face. I believe in God, the Almighty, Father Almighty, Creator of Heaven. Or watched in horror as an unearthly scream ripped from Annalise's throat. <coughs> Anna stood at the door with her hand over her mouth. Has she taken her pills? Father Old asked Annalise as she screamed in anguish. <coughs> yeah, yeah, I saw her take them. Get Peter, now. Because I don't know why Peter has to be there. He has to. He's, 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 he's such a dream. What a lovely boy. What a lovely boy. Calms very soon, sir. He does. And, you know, even the priest wants him there. Pardon me. You disgusting young man. You pig. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Next, Alt made the sign of the cross and quickly and quietly uttered the solemn blessing. Annalise's breath slowed until she was finally stilled. After a moment of calm, Orc collected himself before placing his hand on her head. I, Father Ernst, Minister of Christ and the Church, in the name of Jesus Christ, command you, unclean spirit, if you lie hidden in the body of this woman created by God. Father Orc felt a movement under his hand. Slowly, Annalise lifted her head to reveal an unrecognisably hideous face twisted in anger. Her body contorted and writhed under Alt's hand as he struggled to compose himself and continue with the words. He was probably used to it being a small boy. Annalise grabbed at her rosary and ripped it to shreds before throwing it across the room. When Anna arrived with Peter, Annalise turned directly to him and in a rough, guttural voice screamed, Get out! She eventually calmed and gently ushered to sleep but those present were left in no doubt as what they had witnessed. A mad fucking bitch. I mean, just saying, bit crazy, innit? Well, she knows how to communicate, right? She does like, get out! Amazing. That summer, as Annalise drifted between a complete lack of sense and her lucid self, she and Peter agreed that whenever she stiffened up or disappeared into a trance, he should look her in the eyes and if and to see if she was still present. If she moved them, he would know that it was her inside, which meant, under no circumstances, should Peter try to get inside as well, because it's a bit crowded. In mid-July, when Annalise was having returned home, Father Roth received a phone call at his office, and he was surprised to have found a trembling voice of Joseph Michel on the other end of their line. Having been unable to get through... Hold of Father Old, Joseph begged Roth to help as his daughter's terrifying screams <coughs> could be heard in the background. When Roth arrived at the house a few hours later, he was overwhelmed by a foul stench as if something putrid had been set on fire. Joseph led him through the kitchen where his smell intensified. Annalise stood stiff in the middle of the room as if she was in a deep trance. Without warning, she ran towards Roth, who only had time to stumble backwards before she stopped, sudden and rigid, and no more than a metre away. She regarded his face for a moment before flinging herself backwards towards the other side of the room. The putrid smell intensified, because, and this was because the priest had shit himself. David Lee Roth had shit himself. Yeah, man. Tight trousers and he's jumping doing the splits. He's going to slip out in it. 
together as well jump jump do do together roth and alt took their findings to bishop joseph stangle who granted permission to attempt a small exorcism a small yeah which we'll I, just do a small one. it's a small exorcism which i can only imagine doesn't use the good bibles little to no holy water and a distinct lack of schnitzel on Sunday, August the 3rd, 1975, at the Michelle's home, and then now 23-year-old Annalise sat patiently before the two priests all pulled from his case a small black boot containing the exorcism prayers of Pope Leo Thirteenth, and knelt down before him. So always that Pope Leo. I mean, he was crazy Pope there, wasn't he? Good Pope, yeah. Good crazy Pope. Most glorious Prince of Heavenly Armies, Saint Michael the Archangel, he went on and on about that. Annalise's eyes drew closed. Slowly her head lulled while her body started to twist. What started as a moan uh, grew steadily into a full-on growl. <laughs> Defend us in our battle against principalities and powers, continued old. Stop! It's burning my arms! She shrieked. The priest continued. Against the rulers of this world of darkness, against the spirits of wickedness in high places. Without warning, Annalise lurched forward, trying to knock the prayer book from Alt's grasp, but she was restrained by Joseph and Anna. Alt and Roth had seen enough. While the family waited for the church to decide what to do next, Joseph and Anna struggled to keep the worst of it at bay with prayers and the rosary, but nothing seemed to work. They'd literally tried nothing and it'd run out of ideas. Yeah, they'd, yeah. Maybe call a doctor. This is what you'll see here. They were so convinced that it was religious that they just did like any of that. Oh, is she taking her pills? Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Then we can just say this is demonic possession then. One morning, Anna found Annalise in her bedroom, gasping for air as an invisible force appeared to be shoving her face down against the floor. But any attempt to pull her up or straighten her out resulted only in a terrifying, choking fit that Joseph couldn't bear to watch. Pussy. As quickly as the fits began, they would just as quickly stop, leaving Annalise in bizarre catatonic states. When the hot summer days reached their peak, she tore at her clothes and ran naked through the house in a desperate attempt to cool down. I mean, we've all been there. We have. It was really hot here. And the Americans were like, oh, you know, it's that hot. We don't have air conditioning. Our houses are built to keep the heat in. And also, we don't like, we like to moan about the weather quite a bit. It's humid. It's like a, it's, yeah. a, it's a very sort of dampy. Yeah, sticky. Sticky. Puthery. 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 Puthering today, it says. Puthering. Yeah. Anyway, at night, having moved into the attic, she could be heard running about the room, accompanied by endless slew of bud-curdling screams. <coughs> Another morning, Anna found Annalise staring at a spider as it made its way across the floor. Before she had time to intervene, the young woman put it in her mouth, swallowing it whole. No. I mean, saying that this girl died of malnutrition... Maybe she was eating it because she was hungry. Just saying. Just saying. She sensed clouds of flies amassing around her while strange, distorted creatures scuttled about in the shadows. All religious iconography was torn from the walls and smashed to pieces. At one point, with Father Alt on holiday. Yeah, you fuck off on holiday. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, this poor girl who relies on me. He's like, yeah, I'm getting on holiday. I'm getting to see your dad in Argentina. Come on. Yeah, anyway, so he was on holiday. A Jesuit priest and exorcism specialist, Father Adolf Rodovic, was sent for. He arrived to find Annalise lying on the kitchen floor in a trance with small open wounds on her hands and feet that Annalise claimed appeared one morning without reason. After shepherding Annalise to the sofa, Rodovic confirmed to Anna and Joseph that a force of immense evil had possessed their daughter. Rodovic took hold of Annalise's hands and in a clear assertive voice said, What is your name? Probably because he didn't know who she was. Her head lolled to the side. I am Judas, she replied in a low unfold. Oh, they always, they always yeah. do that. Always with the Judas. She replied in a low, unfamiliar tone. I too know the pain of having an unfortunate first name, I imagine the priest thought to himself. Because his name's Adolf. Yeah. That one's Judas. Then Annalise opened her eyes and looked at Rodvik as if for the first time. Because it probably was for the first time. Because she was in the... She was having a fit. And then she's come to him like, who's this fucking Jesuit priest here? It's like, how my name's Adolf. Oh, mate. Never thought about changing that lately. Not a popular name nowadays, is it? Anyway, the church agreed unanimously to proceed with a full exorcism before it was too late. Not a small one. No, not a small one. No. But now, with Father All now living a hundred kilometres away in Ethelben and unable to commit fully to the task, this guy just didn't give a shit, did he? He's like, I'm going on holiday and I'm moving house and fuck Fuck that chick. Don't My work here is done. Yeah, you've done. You've literally done nothing, haven't I? No, you literally haven't. You've done nothing. Um, yeah. So the the task fell to a much respected father, Arnold Renz of the Salvation Monastery in Rukshepach, to lead the ritual at four p.m. On you disgusting man. I know this is Halloween and everything, but come on. It's the demons. It's not the demons. It's your beer. At the four... demon of drink! You're battling your own demon. Uh, at 4pm on September 24th, Renz arrived at the Mitchell House Hall began to begin the blessed exorcism rite of Rituali Romanum. You know, the exorcism. Yeah, thing. yeah. That's fucking... It's, even, it's really cool when you say it in line. Anna and Joseph had prepared a room upstairs at the back lest the sound of Annalise's screams draw any more concern from their neighbours. Renz entered the room to find Annalise waiting patiently for him on a wooden chair. Seating around her were Anna and Joseph, with her sisters Barbara and Ruwiswa, and the ever-dependable Peter, who was stuck with Annalise through it all. What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. You missed what I just did. No, I saw what you did, but I'm, you know... In, in the flow. No, I'm I'm actually doing the story that people have tuned in for, not watching some prick in a hat opening bottles of beer, which he failed at last time. It's true. But there's definitely people tuning in to watch a prick in a hat drinking beer. I mean, most people just want to hear you thinly veiled racism. It's true. And you've heard it. Anyway... Thea Hine and her husband completed the congregation as Thea probably wanted to see the little bitch suffer after tearing off her medallion and moving a perfectly good trip to Italy. Yeah. 
I mean, fuck, I was getting Blackpool on some kick, just like, fucking screaming all the time, innit? To the left was a makeshift altar laid with a white embroidered cloth on which she placed a crucifix bearing a statue of Christ along with framed pictures of the Virgin Mary, the Archangel Michael, Father Pio of San Damiano, David Essex and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. One of those things wasn't there. Can you the see? actual Sacred Heart of Jesus. There's a picture. Just the heart? Yeah. A bit morbid, isn't it? Yeah, but one of those things wasn't really on the altar. Can you guess which one? I'll throw him again. Crucifix statue bearing Christ. Along frame pictures of the Virgin Mary. Archangel Michael. Father Pano, Pio St. Damiano. David Essex. And the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm going to say... I'm going to say... St. Michael. The Archangel. Yeah. He wasn't there. David Essex wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. Because you need you need David Essex. You can. Do you know why? He's exceedingly holy as David Essex. Because, unlike Father Renz, he didn't give up on her baby. Don't give up on us, baby. Don't make me sad. Oh, literally everyone here now is watching it. Who the fuck is David Essex? I mean, David Essex is old for us. Jesus. Anyway, the group watched in anxious silence as Father Renz in his white and black robes laid his briefcase on a side table and removed the purple stole before placing it solemnly around his shoulders. Next, he took out a vial of holy water and relics of Pope Pius X and St. Vincent and fragments of the cross. With great trepidation, Renz shared a solemn look with Ort before turning back to Annalise. He was like this. This shit's not going to work. It's not even real. Splinters of the cross. Holding his Bible in one hand, Renz made the sign of the cross with the other, then took the vial of holy water and flipped it lightly over the nervous congregation. When he came to Annalise, the touch of water caused her to jerk and growl in pain. Wiswith's eyes were widened in horror as Barbara squeezed her hand. After a brief pause, Renz dropped down to his knees. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. They murmured in reply, as if you'd been to any sort of church. Like, may peace be with you. And also with you. It's the most depressing thing, isn't it? Well, that's Re- why, like, if you go to, like, them gospel things. Oh, yeah. they yeah. fucking... They fucking know how to pray. Yeah. Clapping their hands. Yeah. And, sh- and, and yeah. singing and shit. It's yeah, disgusting. Man. As Renz proceeded with the litany of saints, a strange moan escaped Annalise's mouth as the body became more and more restless. It was like... Oh, shut the fuck up with the saints. St. Luke, St. Mark. Annalise thrust forward, her legs kicking out violently. Herr Hein rushed towards her, and together with Peter, what a guy, and Joseph, they forced the young woman back down into her seat. She growled, thrashing wildly as the three men struggled to hold her down, her teeth gnashing as trying to bite their skin. I commend you! continued Renz. Unclean spirit, whoever you are, along with all your minions now attacking the servant of God. A monstrous scream erupted from deep in Annalise's throat. Stop with that shit, she cried. Anna gasped, struggled to hold back all the tears as all in the room stared in terrified amazement. Renz placed his hands on Annalise's head and continued to growl and squirm. 
They shall lay their hand upon the sick, and all will be well with them. Another flick of holy water had Annalise howling again in pain. Put that shit away! She yelled. Emboldened by the father's words, the congregation broke into gentle song. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spirit Sancto. They sang. Annalise cried out Beautiful, at the wow. sound of every word as if they were being carried to her on waves of fire. The damning indictment of their singing talent. After 16 hours, 16 fucking hours, Renz brought the session to an end. Annalise implored him to continue, but Renz was wary of pushing too hard. It's been fucking 16 hours. How can you make that all last 16 hours? There must have been a bit of rinse repeat. It must have been. And insisted they finish for the night, realising that the long road lay ahead. Over the long road? After 16 hours? Oh, yeah, man. Over the next month, Father Renz and others would gather eight times in that little room at the back of the house, occasionally breaking for tea and cake during the more exhausting sessions. At least they're having something to eat. Annalise isn't, saying that she died of malnutrition. At least they're having tea and cake. Most struble. It probably was a strudel, wasn't it? You know. Anyway, I hope there was a strudel. I like a strudel. Strudel's good. Anyway, often Annalise would return to her normal self, her mind lucid and clear, only to be taken over again by the dark spirits and their wretched voices. All tested Annalise by switching languages, questioning the voices in Dutch or Latin, but each time the voices seemed to understand. During one session, she again developed wounds on each of her hands and feet, the marks of stigmata. According to Renz. Oh, they're throwing everything in there now, aren't they? they oh, yeah, you ready for this? After weeks of interrogation, Annalise's tormentors finally revealed their names as. Ready for this? Nero, Cain, Lucifer, Judas, and Hitler. Seriously, Hitler? Hitler. I mean,. We all know Hitler's having a pineapple shoved up his arse because we've seen Little Nicky. But I don't think Hitler would be promoted that quickly to possession demon. No. Also, like, that you've got the fucking key of Solomon that's got 72 names of... And also, if he committed suicide, shouldn't he be in purgatory? Yeah. Yeah, I think. I see a hole in your plan. Anyway, apparently, the other demons um, just said Hitler. You just come on getting like, Zikael! Zikael! All the time. And the other demons were like, yeah, he doesn't really do much else. The other demons would tell Hitler to shut up when he took over Annalise's body. Hitler. Seriously? Yeah, the other demons would tell him to shut up. They'd be like, shut up, Hitler! Why is Judas the demon? Oh, you know, he did, you know, betray Jesus, got him crucified. Yeah, but if he, he, if did, he hadn't uh, done Yeah, it. this is my argument. I'll die on this hill like Jesus on the cross. If Judas hadn't betrayed Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have been crucified. He wouldn't have died for our sins and mankind would be damned for eternity. So Judas is probably the greatest hero of all time, if you think about it. He's, he's an under... I mean, like, if I was going to, like, make anybody a demon, it'd be that one 
was it was it Peter? Oh yeah. Which was the one who was like I don't know him. Peter. Was Peter wanted? Yeah. yeah. You deny me. Well, three times before the car crashed. But yeah, make him a demon. The fucking that's not a mate, is it? No. Fucking sly move. Sly move. I don't know him. To be fair, when we're at work and you're kicking off, and people are like, is that, is that the one you do the channel with? I'm like, no, I don't know now. When did I last kick off at work when we were in? I don't know. I come over to you, start you off, and then go away. Don't I? I just come off, like, fucking poke the bear. Is that why you told me to stand up the other day? No, that was just so, uh, because I wanted you to wave to people on my team. Okay. I have a feeling that they don't like me. Well, nobody cares about me. They're, in de- they're not yeah. even indifferent. They just don't care. Good, because I don't care about them either. And one of them looks like, genuinely, I know he's your friend and he's probably a nice guy, but once he was walking behind me... Film me. I just get, what? Film me. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone in... If I'll, honestly, this guy looks like a serial killer. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I, I'm sure you sound. I don't know you. Probably don't want to get to know you, to be honest, because I'm just like that. Oh, no, you'd, you'd actually like him. Would I go on with him? Yeah. Oh, cool. So we'll set something up. But once, he was he was walking behind me when I was going to Morrison's, and he was, like, right behind me. And I clenched my keys. That's, that's the effect he had on me. There we go. <laughs> Wasn't afraid. I just wanted to make sure that if I had put him down and run... He'd stay down. Anyway, enough about about you being a pussy. Remember, Hitler's here. So one afternoon, Father Alt was telling the family about a disgraced priest by the name of Valentin Fleischmann, who had run Alt's parish back in the 16th century, when Annalise let out a terrible scream. They watched in horror as the body twitched and her face shifted into strange shapes as if something was trying to come through. And a sixth demon announced itself. It was Fleischmann. Convenient. That, you know, you're talking about it. And apparently... I feel feel there's a bit of a political angle with this exorcism. Like, did you need name drop Hitler? That's like when that dickhead Quinton reviews was reviewing something like fucking Hannah Montana or some other bullshit he was doing. Check his channel out, it's fucking weird. He did an hour-long exploration of fucking Garfield. But anyway, on one of his reviews, he was just like, oh, I really hate Trump. No context, no context. And this is the shit, this is the vibe this is giving me. Can I carry- Fu- fucking hate that guy. Can I carry on now? Thank you. Yeah, anyway, so it announced itself as Flashman. Flashman? Yeah. So Father Alt was astonished when the voice later recounted how it had once killed a man and battered a woman in details that only could have been gleaned from the archives. Battered her. Battered her. Battered. The archives of the Ettelben Parish. <laughs> Why am I laughing at that? <laughs> in the days between sessions, Annalise incre- incredibly was able to study for her end of term exams. Really? But, yeah. Bless she eaten. She really wants. She, wa- she, she really, really wants to be a teacher because <laughs> she gets some food in the canteen. 
Other times her mother found her staring off into space while simultaneously kicking the underside of her bed until her feet split open and bled. Holy fuck. In October, Annalise was sitting alone in her bedroom when another voice appeared to her, one she had not heard before. It was soft and gentle and loving. The voice announced itself as the Mother of God. It told Annalise to be brave and that she must endure all this torment to carry the burden of so much sin that had befallen the world. Virgin Mary is a bit of an enabler, isn't she? Yeah, she is. She need not fear. She would soon be free. So, dead. Imagine that. You want to go through all this and then you hear a voice. It's like, I, oh, yeah. Mary, mother of God. You okay? Yeah. Um, you need to do this because there's loads of sin in the world. So we're putting it all on you um, because you were a devout Christian. Don't worry. You're going to be dead soon. It'll all be over. Like, don't don't argue. Think of what my son went through. Yeah, didn't endure didn't that the... for sixteen fucking hours. And that was just one session. That was just one yeah. session. You're sitting there it? like, oh, so hungry, need food. Now they're just like, oh, this is good strudel, yeah. Oh, yeah. pass the sausage. And Jesus just gets nailed to the cross, and that motherfucker knew he was coming back. Yeah, Jesus knew everything that was going on. Yeah, fucking, fucking. Virgin Mary get fucked? Yeah. Well, she did. And then she lied did. about it. And that's why we have Jesus. Interesting, that, isn't it? It's like, that's, that's a grift. It's like, uh, it was God. God. It's God. I have to me. say that because I'll get stoned to death. Whilst... Anyway, all the while, the sessions continued, recorded by Father Renz on his reel-to-reel tape recorder. Retro. Retro. Some nights he played the recordings back to Bishop Stangle as they sat and wrapped in the dim light of his office where the voices of Satan's minions echoed around the room. On October 29th, the voices delivered an unexpected message. They would all leave on All Hallows' Eve. Gathering again two days later in, in the small back room, an air of cautious optimism descended on the family as they took their places around the stricken Annalise. In the name of the Holy Trinity, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I command you to go out and never return, repeated Father Renz. A splash of burst water, followed by Annalise's agonising screams. But the voices refused to appear until finally one of them gurgled up. Who are you? asked Renz. Are you Fleischmann? asked Alt. Yeah. Immediately with the Fleischman with this dude. Yeah, no, this he had beef, didn't he? He did. This was in the 16th century, so he'd never met the guy. But That fucking Fleischman. So he was like, are you Fleischman? And the voice went, yes. I have to go now. Like, Into hell? Demanded Ort. Yes. Where did you think it was going to go? Fucking Tesco? So I have to go now. Why? I've left something on the stove. I will be back soon. Because he's going to go to hell. He's one of Satan's minions. Fucking idiot. Annalise retched violently and doubled over, shrieking before a swift growl of Hail Mary full of grace was heard and the room felt completely still. Renz was the first to speak. Fleischman is gone. Now it's the turn of the others. Hitler, Kane, and then Nero all took their leave, accompanied by horrific screams, <coughs> begging not to be sent back to hell, until finally only Lucifer was left. 
I will not go, the voice growled, but soon it too cried, Hail Mary, full of grace, sending an exhausted Annalise collapsing back onto the sofa. The sliver of a waning moon hung outside the window in a dark autumn night as a long-forgotten silence returned to the Michelle household. It was 10.30pm and the last of the demons had left. There were gasps and apprehensive murmurs as Annalise began to stir, coming round as if from a deep sleep. Is it over? She asked meekly. That was my meek voice. It's a very good meek voice. The congregation wept with joy and broke into song, the elated voices rising as a majestic euphoria flooded the room. So much so, they first they didn't hear it, the shallow, the shallow gurgle snaking through the gentle choral melodies turning into another horrifying scream. <coughs> that brought the joyous hymn to an abrupt end. That one popped my fucking ear. Good. They turned in terror towards Annalise, sitting up on the sofa again, strange smile playing about her face. But I am not out yet, came a cross voice. And your singing still fucking sucks. Was this Hitler? I imagine it's said. No, we'll we'll get to that, who it was. Anyway, why is Nero a bad demon? Nero? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because he really persecuted the Christians. Oh. Like, there was, allegedly, allegedly, I mean, he's not going to fucking... I, I don't think, I don't think strikers, anyone is. from the Roman Empire is going to sue you, Les. But, like, there were stories about him, like, sort of using Christians as candles at, like, garden parties. That's badass. Yeah, he'd like fucking cover them in in tar and fucking light them up. What wouldn't they be running around? No, he'd stake them. Oh, he'd have he, rows of them. Would they be dead? Basically, d- no. They were alive, and then they were dead throughout. The... Oh, that's okay then, because I'm just like, if they were alive and running around, you're no, they running. were alive and tied up. Do you know, like you put them things, like if you have a garden party, you like stick them in the ground. What they're called? Oh, tiki torches, like tiki torches. Like if you basically, if you're a white supremacist, you go and buy tiki torches. Basically, he'd he'd make Christian tiki torches. I mean, but like it could just be like propaganda. It probably is just propaganda. Like the whole thing where they were like, did he? Thing is, though, he didn't have a B and M. Then did he? So didn't have a B and M. You have to. You have to improvise. Adapt. Well, this is well. He he seemed to improvise quite well because they go on about how like Rome was burning, probably for from a neglected Christian tiki light. And he played his fiddle. And he played his fiddle, but fiddles hadn't been invented then. Yeah, not bad. Anyway, despite the failure, lies. To... I think lies. lies, lies. Despite the failure to complete the exorcism, a rare window of good health following the week enabled Annalise to return to Würzburg to take her theology exams. The next few months were spent travelling back and forth to Klingenberg as Father Renz continued unsuccessfully to coax a name from the demon who had refused to be exorcised. When Annalise's friends asked where she had been, she offered only that she had an illness that had kept her from her studies. As the year drew close, though, there was no let-up from the unnamed voice that plagued her every waking hour and spit and raged at Father Renz whenever he came near. In the new year, the voice revealed itself. 
I am Lucifer, it said. I thought they'd got rid of Lucifer. Yeah, he lied. He lied. He does that. He said, he does that. Like, you lied? It's like, hello, Satan. Lord of lies. Lord of uh, yeah. lies. Like, why, why did you think at any point I would tell you the truth? Why? Are you going now? Yeah, I'm going back to hell. Yeah. And he's like, nah, fuck you. The sour's mine. It's mine now. Anyway, one evening in the dorm, Lucifer told Annalise to press her face against the floor. Do it until you can't breathe anymore, he said. Now strip naked and go to Anna's room and climb under her sheets. Annalise screamed. Not gonna lie. Standard evening. Not gonna lie. I think it was Peter. (laughs) What a guy. Annalise (laughs) screamed until she was released put on her clothes and climbed terrified, shaking into bed, shivering all through the night and begging for the peace that never came. Satan's like, get in there, let's eat up a bit. Go on. Slip a finger in. Go on. I want to see scissoring. Come on. Go on, I'll leave if you scissor it. You said that last time after I ate the ass. (laughs) Well, no, no, I'm telling the truth this time, honestly. Telling the truth this time. Yeah, I'm Lucifer. Yeah. Anyway, above all else, Annalise was terrified at the thought of anyone at the university other than Peter and Anna finding out the truth about what had been going on, because they may have taken her to a doctor and got her help. Despite occasional trips to a number of physicians on the order of four that alt, Annalise never mentioned the voices or the faces, and certainly not the exorcism, of course. Because if you did, they would have put a stop to it, could have helped you. She, what she feared above all else was she would be judged clinically insane, carted away and stripped of any right to speak for herself, and poked and prodded by clueless doctors intent on denying her the only thing that will bring her salvation. A lot like what they would, what the exorcists were doing. Though. Yeah, but you know, she got fed. They kind of saved her. Didn't they? Yeah, she was alive. Anyway, but perhaps there was something deeper that haunted Annalise, something lingering in the psyche of a nation still struggling to come to terms with its past. Probably that. Yeah. Anyway, in March, Annalise was attempting to board the train home when her body became oddly stiff and unable to move. Deciding she couldn't go home, she returned to her dorm. Later, while attempting prayers in the local church, an invisible force threw her repeatedly to her knees in an act of strange supplication. Concerned by recent events, Ruithwa was dispatched to Versburg to look after her sister, who was now refusing to eat. Was she? I don't know. She could have been. Anyway, one morning, Annalise's friend Ursula opened the door to Annalise's room and gasped in horror. Ruithwa quickly ushered her out, but Ursula couldn't shake the image from her mind, and Maria had seen it too. Annalise staring into space without moving, skeletal arms contorted in front of her in a inhuman pose. She was dabbing. (laughs) Her friends grew increasingly (laughs) concerned, but Rosweathler refused to let them call a doctor, reassuring her she had it all under control. Call a doctor. The following month, more terrifying screams sent Rosweathler running for Annie. But by then, almost every light in the dormitory had been switched on as anxious faces gazed quizzically at one another from across the hall. They're like, oh, screaming. Anna did her best to control the gossip and promised that a doctor had been sent for, but it was Father Alt who had been called. 
someone with no qualifications in medicine. After a brief stay with Alt that ended with Ruithla being injured by a mysterious fall, a weak and emaciated Annalise was collected by Peter. What a guy. What a guy. And her parents carried to the car and she was driven home. Despite the deterioration in her condition, Annalise attempted to reassure them that everything would be fine. The mother of God had delivered a message that it would all be over in July. Jesus fucking Christ. Put a date on it. Yeah, she's like, uh, like you know, still struggling. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. By the way, it's all going to be over in July. In July. We'll put a time frame of July on. Yeah, July. Like, don't put me in a box. Yeah, you know, we've got a lot of work on, you see. Um, you know, we've got to make a statue cry blood like around about the 7th. So we could do that, but then, you know, we got to do a few things. And I've got to appear to some villages. And um, also, um, Jesus's face has got to appear in a tomato in Canada. So, you know, July's a busy month for us, but, you know, it will it will be, we'll pencil in July for you. Anyway, at once home, Annalise's behaviour only became more erratic as the voices continued their unremitting torment. Some days she was found rubbing her face or banging her head against the wall until it bled. She asked her family to tie her up at night and sometimes during the day for the fear of what the demons might make her do. But when Father Renz continued the exorcism, the demonic voices remained silent and seemed only to send Annalise into violent fits of rage as Peter and Joseph fought hard to keep her restrained. During one particularly brutal session, just like in the church weeks before, Annalise fell to her knees, stood and threw herself to the floor again until the skin split and her knees bled. She would repeat the action 600 times before collapsing from exhaustion. I counted. Yeah. Anna tried tearfully to comfort her daughter by throwing pillows and blankets under her bloodied legs, but she seemed determined to miss them at every time she hit the floor. It's like like some shit game on the Commodore or Sinclair, where you're trying to catch something and it just keeps changing. (laughs) She's run out of pillows and she's just like throwing blankets everywhere. Oh, bless. Anyway... Haunted by the news of Annalise's vicious genifications and continuing refusal to eat, knowing the family's reluctance to involve the medical profession, Alt secretly invited a physician friend to one of the exorcisms. Oh dear. So yeah, so the family are like, no, she won't eat. And also, no doctors, please. Of course. So like, the priest is at least like, yeah, we we need a doctor here. But the family said no. So, with the session underway, Dr. Richard Roth followed Alt into the Michelle family home as the sound of inhuman shrieking was coming from the back. <coughs> A single lamp illuminated the hall as Alt led Roth up to the second floor, where the doctor gasped at the sight of a skeletal young woman standing before him. Her face was swollen and beaten, her eyes were sunken in discoloured flesh. Father Wren stood in front, holding out his crucifix as he talked. Dr. Roth decided he'd seen enough and returned, shaking to the kitchen. When Father Alt asked if he would administer help if get things got too bad, Dr. Roth replied, There are no injections against the devil, before gathering his things and hurrying out of the house. I really hope he got stripped of his medical license. Yeah, me too. When Alt returned a few days later, Annalise told him, with fading light in her eyes, that she feared it would still get worse before it got better. She reminded him that he mustn't be afraid, as all would be well in July, just as the mother of God had deemed it. Father Alt noticed that one of Annalise's teeth had been chipped. 
When he left, he noticed a peculiar mouth-shaped dent in the wall, and a glass panel appeared to be missing from one of the doors. It a was mouth-shaped dent? Yeah. <laughs> That's some acne fucking shit, that is. <laughs> Fuck. It was Annalise, Joseph informed him. She'd run into the wall headfirst. Another five exorcisms took place before June the 30th, but she's fucking like, thank God it's July tomorrow. When a thick summer heat, Renz arrived at the Michelle household for what would be the 67th session since he had started in 1975. So still the big exorcism. Yeah, so 67 exorcisms. And Lucifer's still like, yeah, I'm not going. Staying here. <laughs> I mean, it is Lucifer. He's like, you'd hope he'd have some staying power. To be fair, though, in his defence, he's like, well, Mother, I want to go, like, January time, but Mother of God told her July, so I might as well stay around. How else is she going to die? So, they've had 66 um, so far with Annalise. She waited patiently and eagerly for her deliverance, surrounded by Anna, Joseph, Barbara, Ruthita, and Peter. What a guy. What a guy. There was reason to be cheerful for despite her temperature running at 38.9 degrees centigrade or 102 degrees Fahrenheit for you Yanks. Tomorrow would be July when, as she'd been foretold, she would finally be released. Annalise was placed on the sofa with barely enough strength to lift her own body, but as Father Renz began the ritual once more, she slithered and moaned, her teeth and withered gums gnashing at the sound of the prayers. On the bridge of her nose, a large open sore wept from a wound sustained the previous week. As Renz continued, a voice cried out, but it was not the growl of demons or the hiss of rage, but a gentle, sweet and exhausted voice of a young woman. Absolution. Father Renz stopped and asked, Are you sure? Yeah. Renz looked to Peter who stared long and hard into Annalise's eyes before confirming the words were her own. What a guy. Finding a momentary reserve of strength, Annalise dropped from the couch and knelt on the floor. Renz made the sign of the cross and placed his hands on her head. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his son, he reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us to forgiveness of the sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God forgive you pardon and peace, and I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I don't think you need to do that, saying she's just gone through all this. And if God's like, oh no, you did sin, you look lustfully at Peter's calf, then what a dick. What happens now? she asked. He patted her on the arm and smiled. We pray. Because they've got nothing else, have they? No and strudel. It, no strudel, no nothing. He's like, no, you know, I'm not going to feed you, am I? <laughs> I'm not going to feed you. Anna sat with her daughter until she fell asleep. At midnight, a scream ripped through the silence of the night. <coughs> Sending Joseph running to Annalise's room to find her being thrown about the bed. Joseph commanded the demons to leave his daughter alone and the violence subsided. Maybe he should have done that before. Yeah. It's like, oh, dad's telling us off, better stop. But it would be well into the early hours of July the 1st before Annalise was finally calmed enough to turn to her side and fall asleep. At 3am before heading off to work, Joseph made sure to check in on his daughter and found her sleeping peacefully. 
An hour later, he received a phone call from Anna to inform me that Annalise was dead. I mean, they didn't fuck around with that July thing, did they? No, they didn't. They really didn't, did they? An autopsy on her body found all her inner organs were healthy, including the brain, with no damage that could have been caused by that have caused any epileptic seizures. Mm. I want a second opinion. Her death was recorded as being caused by starvation and possibly overexertion. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. The report also noted that her pupils were unusually dilated and she had none of the bed sores or ulcerations of the skin associated with starvation. Just, you know, loads of fucking whipping sores from where she's been headbutting the wall and shit. Her weight at the time of the death was only 68 pounds. She was buried a few days later on the outer edges of the cemetery next to her sister Martha. Now, remember Martha was buried with the illegitimate people. Mm-hmm. Right? Seeing that Annalise was spoken to by the mother of Christ, she got a fucking pretty shitty deal there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll just bury her on the outskirts. In the aftermath of Annalise's death, West German state charged Annalise's parents, Joseph and Anna, along with fathers Arnold Renz and Ernst Alt, with negligent homicide. When the trial started, the prosecution told the jury that the autopsy report indicated that Annalise was semi-starved for almost a year while the exorcism was ongoing. This resulted in malnutrition and dehydration, ultimately causing her death. She had also broken her knees from the required prayer position in exorcism rites. Jesus! And she could not walk without assistance. The state prosecutor caught wind of these events and determined that Michelle's death had been preventable one week prior. He concluded that the exorcism rites were performed negligently and charged Michelle's parents and the exorcists with negligence resulting in homicide. Good. During the trial, doctors testified claiming that Michelle was not possessed and that her behaviour was due to a strict religious background and epilepsy. Yes, it was. Defence argued that exorcism was a constitutional right under the unrestricted exercise of religious belief, but the court ruled otherwise. All four defendants were found guilty of manslaughter due to negligence and sentenced to a term of six months in prison, which was later suspended, and three months probation. It's not much, is it? No. All four defendants maintained to the end that Annalise had been the victim of demonic possession. Much later, when Father Wren's taped recordings of Annalise's exorcism were made public, an analysis of her pain and anguish responses reveals some of them to be hitting two registers at the same time, as if two people had been speaking simultaneously. According to some scholars, Annalise Michel's unfortunate ordeal was a case of misidentification of mental illness. Steadfast believers have disagreed with this, even turning Michel's gravestone into a place of pilgrimage. In 2013, a fire broke out at Annalise Michel's previous place of residence. Authorities state that it was a case of arson, 
but locals attributed it to the exorcism. And thus ends the ballad of the possession of Annalise Michelle. Now, if you're thinking that sounds familiar and you've watched a film called The Exorcism of Emily Rose, it's, I was going to say, it's because it's based exactly. on that. But yeah, bit of a spooky one for Halloween. It had crime in because, you know, they went court. And it was court, you know, it was created. Court is in session. The verdict is in. Well, we are entered the No dark. appeal on the docket today. Just my own sin. My prison, my fucking prison. Out. I, you slipped that creed oh that Any was that was beautiful that was fucking beautiful man. Session. The, the verdict is in no appeal on the docket today just mouncing Beautiful, man. Been dead on Sorry. Stop, we're going to get copyright strikes. Right. No, I don't sound anything like Scott Stapp. Anyway, uh, yes, so what do you guys think about that? It was a bit of, I don't think it was demonic possession, but that's just me. If you believe it's demonic possession, then cool. I'm going to watch, like, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. I think I'm going to watch it. I fancy what I'm in the mood. Yeah, but, I mean, if you believe it is, yeah, but she should have been given... Some sort of medical help <clears throat> and at least fucking IV drips and things like that. Or sedated. Or anything. But yeah, let us know. But if you do like that and you've made it this far in the video so far, with us looking like this, then please leave a like. It helps us out, especially since the hacking scandal got us took us down. And we... I don't know what's going on with that. A like, a comment, a share. Share yeah. would be nice. Tell everyone about us. On Twitter, on Instagram. But you can find Instagram. us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at enterthedarkpodcast at gmail.com. We shall be back to our normal attires. Meaning Les will take a hat off. I've got quite well, like this hat. I've got to drive home in this. Anyway. I mean, I do have a sink. I'm not a barbarian. Okay, I'll wash my face here. Well, if you want, it's open. You don't have to. Uh, no, I'm no, not no, forcing I, you I, to. I just, I just thought you didn't want all this on a towel. I can wash the towel. Okay, fine. Right, I'm going to go wash my face. Thanks for joining us. Happy Halloween. I've been Jan. He's been Les. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.